0: You know, once a person becomes a Christian, once you're a Christian, uh, once we accept uh, God's gift of salvation, uh, once our sins, past, present, and future, are all canceled out, once the righteousness of Christ is credited to our account, right? I mean, that's what it means to become a, a Christian: that God takes the righteousness of Jesus, credits it to our account, and sees us uh, through His eyes. Uh, once all of that happens, once heaven is secure and you know for a fact that when you die you're going to go to heaven because Jesus paid the price for you, it's not dependent on how good you are or any of that stuff. Once you, once you have all of that, once you're secure in all of that, uh, then maybe the question becomes, you know, okay, so now, between now and the day that I die, what's important to God about my life? Now that I've got all that blessing from my salvation and now that I'm secure in Christ and so forth, what, what's really important to God between now and the day I die? Now that I'm right with God and I'm enjoying the smile of God on my life because of what Jesus did, uh, what's next? What should my life be all about? So truth be known, God is actually building his kingdom. There's coming a day when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God. And God is in the process of building his kingdom. And uh, truth be known, God would love to enlist every one of us in what he's doing. He would love to enlist us in serving with him. And so I think sometimes, you know, a, a good image of a Christian is like a kid who hangs around the coach... And is always saying to the coach, come on, use me. Put me in the game. Use me. I've practiced. I've got talent. You've given me gifts. Da, 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 da. Use me. I want to get in the game. You know, um, there's nothing like the thrill of serving God. I, I thought about it during the uh, March Madness. You know, there were a couple of really great games where right at the end of the game, some kid just makes a shot and wins the game. You know, they're going to remember that for the rest of their life, right? I mean, that's the day that that one shot just won the whole game. You know, When you're a, a, a minister with God, when you're uh, in the game with God, and you, God uses your words or your actions or your love to bring somebody across the line, and it changes their whole eternity, there is nothing like the thrill of being involved with God in building his kingdom, uh, not much compares to the thrill in, in Ephesians chapter two and verse ten, familiar verse, but here 's what god here 's how God puts that for we are his workmanship we 're the product of his coaching, if you will, we 're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, created for a purpose, recreated as Christians for good works, which God prepared beforehand, which God prepared in advance, and that we should walk in them, right? God's got a plan for our lives, and uh, we're, we're all players. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, same kind of thing. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. God who works in us, right? That's where he is, by his spirit, inside of us. Um, So, work out your salvation, fear and trembling. God's at work inside of us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. And so, between now and the day we die, um, we want to live for his pleasure. We want to live to please God, right? We want to live to do the work that God has planned for us to do. And um, God wants us to be players. And so, when we're willing to be a player... In building the kingdom of God, it's called ministry. Ministry, right? Ministry is just bringing the resources of God to the needs of people. Ministry is bringing the resources of God to the needs of people. In ministry, we're not manufacturers. We don't have to manufacture anything. God has already manufactured salvation. We're distributors. We take the resources of God... And we bring them to the people that God allows us to influence over the course of our lives. Ministry is just bringing the resources of God to human needs. Um, And when we do that, when we are willing to be used in bringing God's resources to meet human needs, uh, we become what the Bible calls servant leaders. Servant leaders. Uh, We're serving God and we're leading other people. To him were servant leaders. And you remember in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus gives his kind of formula, his secret behind his leadership, right? In Matthew chapter 20, you know, Jesus says, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over people, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be like that among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, servant leadership. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom uh, for many. Leadership, you remember, we said is simply influence. Whoever has the most influence has the leadership. That's just the way it is. Leadership is simply uh, influence. It's not about position uh, or uh, any of that. It's really about influence. And nobody has had more influence on the world than Jesus. I mean, he created the world. He's the one that's holding it all together, according uh, to uh, the Bible, to Colossians. Um, He's he's the main influence of people, whether they know it or not, right? But when you look in the Bible and you look at the different people that God has used in significant ways over the whole course of history, uh, almost all of them are called in Scripture servants, servants. They're servants of the living God. They're distributors. They take what God has manufactured uh, in Christ, and they distribute it to people. They're servants. I think we could make a case for the fact that um, after Jesus, Moses has had a huge influence on all of us. I'm so thankful for this display that uh, uh, the Colgates have put together for us. It's about Moses. And there's little uh, plaques up here that you can, I hope you come up here and read, about some of the different uh, incidents that we read in Scripture uh, that these symbols remind us of about God's uh, using Moses to play, you know, in his game. But if you think about it, it's from Moses' writing. Uh, we get the first five books of the Bible. Uh, we get our understanding of God as creator, as our maker of where we came from and so forth from Moses. Moses has had a tremendous Influence on our understanding of God. Uh, Moses influences us in a a lot of different ways. Uh, Through Moses, we learn about sin. Why is the world such a mess? Where did that all come from? Why can't we straighten ourselves out? What is wrong? Well, it's from Moses that we learn about the reality of sin. Uh, It's from Moses that we learn about uh, the serpent and about God's enemy and, and how that all got started. It's from Moses that we get the Ten Commandments. And we learn what's important to God morally. I really don't care, right, what you think is important morally. I want to know what God thinks is important morally. And it's from Moses, through Moses, right, distributing God's manufacturing of ten laws plus all the other things that Moses If you read the first five books of the Bible, you'll discover that Moses not just gave us the Ten Commandments, but all kinds of ideas about how God thinks about just about anything. The first five books of the Bible, you can get God's idea about an awful lot of uh, issues. Uh, It's through Moses that um, a group of slaves were turned into a nation that has long outlived any other nations that were around at that time, right? Right? Israel, still with us today, still the center focus of so much that's going on today. Well, it was Moses who took that group of slaves and and shaped them. Uh, Moses reveals to us the miracle working power of God. God has no limits on his ability to manipulate our material world. And we learn that from Moses when he goes to Pharaoh. And he says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And then Moses brings these 10, you know, threatening, increasingly threatening Uh, miracles. And we learn about the power of God over us and over everything that's going on. Uh, Moses reveals to us the Passover lamb, uh, the prototype of Jesus Christ coming as our Savior, the Passover lamb that spares the lives of God's children. Moses teaches us about worship, genuine worship, that it involves sacrifice, and that apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot worship God. There's only one way that you can get to God, and it's through Jesus. And uh, we learned that from Moses at the very beginning and all the whole sacrificial system that had to do with worship and so forth. And so Moses has this tremendous influence on our lives, whether we even acknowledge it or not, especially here in the West, in America. We think about all the different ways that we think, and you trace them back to where does that come from? And a lot of it comes from Moses. But I want to suggest to you that above everything else, Moses had a deep relationship with God. Uh, When you uh, read the first five books of the Bible and you sort of study the interaction between Moses, a man and a person like us, and God, you come away with this feeling like, you know, I would really like to be like Moses in his relationship with God. And I want to suggest to you that Moses makes an excellent mentor for all of us. And when we're mentored by Moses and we allow Moses to influence our own relationship with God, our own interaction, our own understanding of what God is really like and the truth about God, uh, which Moses reveals to us, it helps deepen our own relationship with God. And not only that, but our understanding of Jesus and our understanding of ourselves uh, because of the interaction and the way that Moses interacted. And so when we pay attention to Moses, When we allow ourselves to be mentored by Moses, um, we really uh, grow spiritually. And so my key verse for uh, this whole series really is in Exodus chapter 33 in the first part of verse 11. It says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses and God were friends. And it reminds me of John 15 where Jesus uh, says to all of us, you know, Uh, I call you my friends. And what makes for a good friend? Jesus says, everything the Father has made known to me, I make known to you. In other words, I'm going to be transparent. You know, most of us don't have, you know, a hundred friends, but we have two or three friends that we feel like we can just let our hair down, we can just be real with, just be honest with, and that these people will love us. And Jesus says, you know, I'm going to call... You, my friends, because everything that the Father has made known to me, I'm making known to you. I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm going to tell you everything I know. And uh, I want you to uh, enter into that circle of friends. And so uh, the first thing, when you think about God and Moses uh, and their interaction together, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is that God revealed himself to Moses. God made himself known to Moses, right? Right? Uh, God revealed himself. The first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And so first question is, you know, well, how in the world did you do that, Moses? Hey, I mean, you weren't there when Adam and Eve showed up. How did you write the book of Genesis? Well, God had to reveal it to me. You weren't there when God made these promises to Abraham. How, do you, how did you write that? that? Well, God... God revealed himself to me, and I became a distributor. I became a spokesperson for God. God manufactured the truth, and he entrusted it to me, and I wrote it down so that I can entrust it to other people. It was like a prophet. He heard from God, and he, just like the rest of scripture, uh, that's been written by God. And so obviously, you know, um, Moses, first of all, God goes first, and God reveals himself uh, to Moses, and so... Not only did he reveal himself to Moses, but through Moses, he reveals himself to us. And I think this is extremely significant because most people have wacko ideas about God. I mean, really wacko ideals, ideas that they've gotten from their mother, you know, along the way, or they've gotten from their uh, uh, school teachers, or they've gotten from the culture that we live in and so forth. They just really have wacky ideas. And so until God reveals the truth about himself, Like he did to Moses, we don't have anything that we can even start a relationship with God. Uh, Many times um, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus would, uh, you know, refer to Moses as the writer of the first five books of the Bible. Uh, He'd call it the Law of Moses and so forth. And Luke chapter twenty-four is just one minor uh, example. But uh, you remember. Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with those two guys who didn't know who he was and so forth. And so it says in verse um, 27, uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He goes right back to Moses and he starts to explain. You know, In verse 44, he says the same thing. Uh, he said to them, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, and everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and so on. Many times Jesus refers to Moses as the author of different parts of the, uh, it's called the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the Bible. And then not only does God uh, create, we learn from there that God created us and created everything that is and so forth, but we also learn that God has a purpose through Moses for the creation. He didn't just create it and, and not explain to us why we're all here and so forth, But God made some promises to a man named Abraham, uh, and one of those promises was that all of mankind would be blessed by one of Abraham's descendants. The blessing of God would come to all peoples, all nations, uh, through a descendant of Abraham. And you and I, at this point in time, look back and we recognize, of course, that that descendant is Jesus. And um, God is moving history to a a defined end. He has a, a purpose for our lives. And a great question to ponder is to kind of ask yourself, have I ever aligned my life with God's purpose? Have I ever stopped and thought that, you know, not only did God create everything, but there's a purpose behind it all. There's a purpose behind our lives. It's all moving in a direction and so on. And, and, and have I ever stopped and thought, you know what, I'm, I'm so busy just, you know, earning a living and paying bills and raising kids and, you know, dealing with my health and this and that and the other thing. Have I ever aligned my life with the purpose that God reveals to us through Moses and through Abraham and Moses' writing about Abraham and so forth, so that I can be walking in step with God, with the God who made me. You know, other religions in Moses' day believed that there were many gods, and uh, worship in other religions pretty much was about, you know, avoiding the anger of some gods and trying to get the favor of other gods. And that was pretty much the way religion happened. But uh, Moses says, no, there's only one true God and he's existed forever and he's all powerful and he cares about the people that he created. In other words, he's a personal God and he's different than the other gods. And so from Moses, uh, we learn that um, God actually desires a relationship with the people that he created and that he's revealing himself to us and as he reveals himself to us, um, we're in turn uh, invited to give up our preconceived ideas, our false notions, our wishful thinking about God that we've picked up from who knows growing up and uh, the world in which we live. From Moses, we learn that God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. A promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Some people call it uh, a covenant-making God. But what we learn is that God is faithful. For example, God you know, promised Abraham's descendants a land of their own, a land flowing with milk and honey, uh, which today we know, of course, as Israel. And God keeps his promises even when people don't keep their promises. And uh, all that to say, you know what? God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Do not lean on your own understanding. And if you trust the Lord with all your heart, right, and not lean on your own understanding, God will direct your life. God will make your path straight, the proverb says. In other words, God will see to it that the outcome of your life is where it should be. And he will direct you uh, through life. What a great gift it is to trust in God. And um, being friends with God, actually, uh, establishing that relationship with God is really all about uh, a transfer of trust. It's taking trust off of yourself and trusting God, right? It's, it's getting away from a me-first life to a God-first life. And Moses talks about this. You know, Moses, in giving us the first Ten Commandments, the very first commandment, have don't have any other gods before me, God said. We learn that through Moses. God wants to be first. Uh, God wants us to trust him uh, more than we trust ourselves. Trust me, God says. Um, Jesus comes along, you know, and and says, listen, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, right? Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Trust me. Trust me to gain an entrance to God's person uh, through what I've accomplished on the cross and so forth. Um, Trust me, and I'll help you. I'll help you to find wisdom. Trust me, and I'll help you. I'll help you to get over your anger. I'll help you uh, to reduce anxiety in your life. I'll help you build your marriage. I'll help you manage money. I'll help you solve your problems. God will do what he says, right? Um, one, of, one of these uh, great uh, verses uh, that's well worth uh, remembering in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 reminds me of this, for all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Isn't that just the greatest verse? All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. All the promises of God become yes in your life when you trust, you take that trust off of yourself and put it onto Jesus and so on. So God can make promises, right? And God can make promises that nobody else can because there's nothing too hard that God can't do. Uh, God is powerful over this material world that we live in, Uh, and again, when Moses goes to uh, Pharaoh and uh, Pharaoh says no, um, God brings these various miracles through Moses, and we learn that there's no limit to God's power, and uh, eventually Egypt comes to its knees and uh, all of God's people are let go, and that's why I think... um, when God reveals stuff about the future, like through prophets, through the prophetic scriptures, through the book of Revelation, and then Matthew chapter 24, and Daniel, and so forth, all of that can be taken at face value because God can do and will do uh, what he says. He's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And so uh, with the exodus you know, of God's people from Egypt, uh, we learn that God is not just our creator, but God is our savior, and no matter what kind of mess we get ourselves into, Um, we can trust him. Uh, He not only created us, but he saves us. And a couple of passages of scripture that just remind us back in um, uh, Deuteronomy, that um, the same way that God uh, saves the Israelites, he saves us from that which entraps us. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, for example, um, God talks about the people of Israel, and and you got to love this. Here's what God says to them. Look, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession. Well, why? Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, why me? Why am I so blessed compared to all the other people? Well, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. That's pretty un-American, right? If we were God, we'd go for the biggest and the best. God says, no, that's not why I chose you. Why did I choose you? Well, verse 8, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore. It's because he's a trustworthy God. And he said what he said to Abraham, to your fathers, uh, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant or keeps promises and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand uh, generations. In chapter 9, it gets uh, even sweeter, I think, the way uh, uh, Moses describes this. Uh, Verse 6 says, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. (laughs) It's got nothing to do with you. In fact, you're a pretty obnoxious group of people, God's going to say. As the thing goes on, you know, uh, look what he says. It's not because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn, obnoxious group of people. That's God's evaluation, right? It's not my assessment. It's what uh, Moses is writing here. And uh, remember, and do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Uh, from the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Okay, and then look at this verse. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. It's not because you're such great special people. Sorry, you know. It's because you're a mess and you needed to be saved. It's because I have a plan for your life, and uh, you needed to be plucked out of being slaves to be set free. And that's really what salvation is all about. It's because we're enslaved to sin, and we can't free ourselves any more than the slaves of Egypt could uh, free themselves. And so God becomes not just our creator, but our savior. A big layover, okay, for uh, the Israelites on their journey to the promised land was at Mount Sinai, and it's here that God gave his people uh, the laws, the Ten Commandments, uh, and, and they simply reveal God's character. If you think about the Ten Commandments and and ask yourself, you know, what's really important to God, uh, you have it there. But there's, again, like I said, a ton of other commands throughout uh, the first five books of the Bible. But they sort of revealed there were other religions at the time, and the other religions had codes of ethics or codes of conduct and so on. Uh, But when the Ten Commandments were revealed, it became obvious that God is the source for any kind of sense of right and wrong. If you take God out of the picture, there's no... like. was happening in America. The further God gets away from people's lives, uh, there's no basis for right and wrong. Without God, there's no basis for right and wrong. It's your opinion versus mine. It's ridiculous to argue with people about morality if God is out of the picture. But God's not out of the picture. God has spoken, and God has revealed the truth, and God has revealed himself, uh, especially in the Ten Commandments. You know, the first four commandments are about us and God, and the last six commandments are about us and other people. God is very concerned about other people, not just His people. The whole nation of Israel was designed to to reveal God uh, to all the other nations of the world. And um, unlike other um, religions, uh, God is out to protect the poor. Um, there are a number of different uh, statutes, if you will, that are all through the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that God is out to protect the hungry and the handicapped and the sick and the discriminated against and the oppressed and the handicapped. And, and, and God uses his people to do it. And God has a, a vision of his people, uh, back then the nation of Israel, today the church, uh, being different and distinct from the rest of the world. Again, in um, Deuteronomy, uh, we uh, can read about this. Some of the things that um, Moses said, Deuteronomy 18 For example, God uh, speaks to Moses, uh, verse 9, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. Uh, Verse 13, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Uh, For these other nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, I went to a fortune teller to try to find out. I say, why on earth would you do that? Don't you realize that God forbids that? God wants you to come to Him to find out about who you are and about what's going to happen in your future. And so, on. for these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and uh, diviners. And uh, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. Don't do that. I mean, you're just opening yourself up for uh, lots of problems and so on. In Deuteronomy chapter four and uh, uh, verse uh, six. Uh, we read these words, uh, keep these commandments and do them, uh, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the other peoples or nations, you could read that, uh, who then will hear about all these statutes and they'll say, surely this great nation is wise and an understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near uh, as uh, as the Lord is to us whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. God's like, you know, I'm going to show off to the rest of the world how wise and how right I am, and you're going to be a nation that's going to be so different than the peoples around you. And so often the church is saying, you know, like, what can we do to be like the people around us? Instead of saying, what can we be to be so unique that the world will be drawn to the wisdom and the presence of God living in us and so forth. Um, and notice here that our morality is tied directly to our relationship with God. I think it's from Moses that we learn that uh, God desire, even desires relationships with people. Uh, Moses' provisions make uh, opportunity for sinful people to be reconciled to God. Uh, you know, there's the Day of Atonement, and there's all the sacrificial systems and so forth. And again, Deuteronomy is loaded with all these different prescriptions that allow people to approach God uh, that are all rooted in God's love. Uh, scripture says that uh, God is actually a jealous God. I've always thought jealousy is the fear of being replaced. God is a jealous God. He's not, uh, um, he's not a God who doesn't care. He's not a God who made people and said, well, I'm done with, you know, they can do what they want. God's a jealous God, the scriptures say, and he cares whether or not uh, people uh, recognize him as their God. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, 9, you shall not bow down to other gods or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. I'm a jealous God. I'm not a disinterested God. I care about the relationship, you know, that goes on with people. Deuteronomy 32, again, uh, same kind of thing. Uh, Verse 16, uh, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. When people say, you know what, I I don't have time for God, and then uh, live their life for some other kind of God, some lesser small g kind of God. Uh, They uh, stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, and with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to gods that had uh, come recently. New gods, right? Whom your fathers had never uh, dreaded. Uh, Verse 21, uh, they've made me jealous with what is no god, small g, uh, they have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation in so uh, the captivity in Babylon. I'm gonna, God's like, I'm going to use a, a foolish, you know, throwaway nation, and I'm going to make them understand what it's like when they feel like their God has given somebody else, you know, uh, favor and so on. It's just so important to know God. As He actually is and not project our ideas of how we'd like God to be onto him and then worship a God that's really not the God who revealed himself and how he revealed himself to be. Uh, God revealed himself especially to Moses through the foundation part of the Bible and we have to have an accurate uh, comprehension of God. Moses can mentor us so much in this area of getting uh, our understanding of God uh, straight so that uh, we can serve him as he calls us. And uh, Moses confronts, you know, um, uh, the different things that uh, uh, threaten the ideas about God. Like when Moses uh, confronts his older brother, Aaron. Remember, Aaron made the golden calf when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments from God. And Moses comes down the mountain. You can learn a lot about confrontation and uh, our role and our part. Uh, To be uh, players in uh, bringing about the kingdom of God. Uh, Just watch Moses plead with God when the people messed up, and you can learn about the uh, intercession, praying for other people, and uh, just how Moses laid himself on the line. From Moses, the mentor, we realize that uh, being a servant leader is not so much about uh, talent, it's not so much about education, um, it's not so much about natural abilities. But it's about believing God, and it's about um, taking God at his word, learning to trust and depend on what God said and how faithful he is to his promises. You know, Moses had multiple talents, and Moses had the best education possible. He was schooled in Egypt, as you know, and um, he had position, he had power, but you know what? He spent the, from 40 years old to 80 years old, he spent in the desert being schooled by God, being humbled by God. Uh, 40 years he spent as a lowly shepherd in spite of his education, in spite of his position, in spite of his power and so forth to learn how to rely on God. Servant leadership uh, is what God does through us, not what we do for God. And Moses had to learn that. Remember Moses killed an Egyptian when he saw an Egyptian abusing one of the Hebrew slaves And, uh, and then he had to take off for his life and And uh, he's out in the desert for 40 years before God meets him at the burning bush and gives him his assignment at 80 years old, right? We're never really done. And God comes to Moses when he's 80 and says, all right, I got a job for you to do, finally. You know, I got this, uh, I've got this group of people that uh, need your leadership and so forth. And uh, God promises his presence and his power because Moses finally at the burning bush recognizes, I'm not adequate for this job. I can't do it. And he starts to argue with God about it and so on. And then he's finally ready. So from Moses, I learn a couple of things. Um, From Moses, I learn, first of all, that uh, when things go wrong, God has a purpose. And it's always good. When things go wrong, but it doesn't always feel that way. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and things get worse. (laughs) Moses does what God tells him to do. Moses says what God says to do. And things get worse in, in Egypt. And the people suffer more because Moses shows up. And, you know, you can read. We'll, we'll read it as the days unfold. But uh, when things get worse, God has a plan. And uh, each setback that feels like a setback becomes another occasion for God to demonstrate more of his power, for more of his glory. And God just ups the ante a little bit and does the next thing and, uh, in Egypt until uh, they are humbled. And so it seems to me that disappointment in life is part of God's plan. It weans us off of this life, thinking and putting all our expectations on this life, and uh, causes us to depend upon God and the promises that he's made and uh, the kingdom that he's building and so forth. And when you think about this, you know, Moses... Um, uh, And and God's saving ability, when Moses and the people were up against the Red Sea, they've gone through all this stuff in Egypt, and now they're finally out, and they take off. And now all of a sudden, here's the whole Egyptian army chasing them, and here they are. The Red Sea is in front of them, and uh, most of the people are like, you know what? It's over. Oh, we we can't trust God. Look what he did. He just brought us out here to get slaughtered, you know? And they're all complaining and all whining and, and all of that kind of stuff, And, um, of course, it's just another opportunity for God to show off his greatness and his power and his glory and uh, leads the people through the Red Sea. And, uh, again, you know, people are still talking about that today, right? Um, The people said it's over. Moses says no. And uh, God demonstrates, again, more of his power and his glory. Uh, Moses teaches me that... um, when I get upset, uh, I should go to directly to the Lord in prayer and not whine. Uh, the people that Moses led whined a lot. Not W-I-N-E-D, but W-H-I-N-E-D. They whined, they complained a lot. The people Moses led uh, were always whining about something. And um, Moses uh, instead goes to God and, uh, I don't know, just uh, there are many... Uh, Incidents, a couple of incidents in uh, Exodus chapter uh, 17, Uh, you know, uh, the people were in the desert, so there wasn't a lot of water, and in Exodus chapter 17, the people are out of water and they're whining, and um, let's see, Exodus 17 verse 3. Uh, The people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so Moses goes to the Lord. Uh, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, uh, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff uh, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall, pay attention, strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so uh, in the sight of the elders uh, and so on. See, see this staff is similar to uh, what Moses had and that God had given him and through which God did a number of things. Well, and then um, a generation later um, in Numbers chapter 20, uh, next generation, uh, the people are thirsty again. And uh, look what, what happens here, uh, verse 2. Uh, there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And uh, there's no water to drink. And then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent uh, of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. Listen, and tell, tell, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink uh, for the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff uh, from before the Lord and did what he said. Um, But look at this, verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to the people, Hear now, you rebels. Okay? We could translate that probably a little more contemporary, but you get the idea. Uh, shall we bring water out of this rock for you and Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice he didn't speak to it He, he hit it first time he was told to strike it this time he was told to speak to it but he struck it twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given him. Can you imagine? God says to Moses, because you didn't listen to me, you're not going into the promised land. Now, that's pretty tough, don't you think? In 1 um, Corinthians, uh, we read why. Way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Um God says, uh, starting in verse 6, these things take place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters as those people where they sat down to eat and drink and got up to play and so forth. Um, These things happened, okay, uh, to them as an example, but they were written down for us, for our instruction on whom the end of the ages came. So that whole thing has meaning for us, right? And here's what it says, uh, the first couple of verses. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses uh, in the cloud and in the sea, and all all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. God had it set up that the rock would be struck the first time, right? Like Jesus was struck, and then after that, it would be talked to. But Moses messed up the illustration, and God said to Moses, you know, because of that, you will not enter the promised land. And uh, I say to myself, wow, you know, God means business. God's word, you can't play loose uh, with God's word. Uh, Moses uh, mentored me to put God first also, to make, um, make it about God's glory. Uh, in, again, in, in Exodus, when the people messed up, um, When Moses was up on the mountain uh, getting the Ten Commandments and the people messed up with the golden calf and God was uh, really ticked off in Exodus chapter 32 and uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. And now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God is like, I'm done. I'm wiping these people out, like at the flood, like with Noah. I've had it. I'm going to wipe these people out, and I'm going to make a new nation, and it's going to start with you. Now, you know, a lesser person, right, would say, oh, oh that would be really cool. I'd be, like that. I'd be like the new Abraham. Wow, you know. But look at how Moses responds. Verse 11. He teaches us that it's not about us. It's about God's glory. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did that God bring them out and kill them all in the mountains to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, Lord, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel. Uh, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of uh, bringing on the people. You see Moses, he's like, I'm all about God's glory. I'm all about your reputation, Lord. I'm all about what people think about you. And I don't want you to you know, get so angry here that you just wipe out your people and all the people are going to just dismiss you and and have wrong thoughts about uh, what you're really like. This is about living a God-first life. It's your reputation. I think Moses uh, also mentors us, (coughs) excuse me, Moses mentors us to be honest with God. I don't have to approach God with pretense or pretending. I don't have to approach God with a a God-like persona. And pretend that I'm somebody that I'm, I'm really not. Um, Exodus chapter 32 and uh, verse 30. Uh, the next day Moses said to the people, you know what? You have sinned a great sin and I'm going to go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. But listen, Moses can't make atonement for sin. Only one person can make atonement for sin, Jesus, right? Uh, but Moses is following, you know, what he learned about the sacrificial system and so on. And uh, so Moses goes to the Lord and says, alas, this people have sinned a great sin, and they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book of life that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, listen, whoever has sinned against me, that's who I'm going to blot out of my book. But go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. And behold, my angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, uh, the one that Aaron made. And so, again, Moses is pleading with God and laying his own life on the line. And, and uh, verse 30, or chapter 33, same thing, verse 15 and um, 16 Again, the same kind of thought, Uh, God said, or Moses says to God, uh, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring me up from this land. Uh, God was threatening to withdraw his presence from the people because he was mad. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Isn't it your presence that sets us apart? And if you're not going to go with us, if you're just going to send us without going with us, I'm not going, Moses says. (laughs) Uh, God first, God's reputation. And one last thing it strikes me um, about Moses mentoring us is that, you know, Moses lived his whole life as a servant leader, and um, yet he wasn't permitted to enter the promised land. And uh, again, in Deuteronomy 32, uh, God comes to him and uh, reiterates this. He says, um, verse 48 That very day the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Go up uh, this mountain of Abiram, Mount Nebo, uh, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and then die on that mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died uh, on Mount Hor. Uh, And was gathered to his people because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribeth Kadesh uh, in the wilderness of Zin. And you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there. I'm thinking probably Moses whole life. It was on his bucket list (laughs) to walk in the land where God had promised Right, And now he's an old man, he's 120 years old, and um, he's, he's going to die without ever being able to go into the land. Why? Well, because he went against the Lord, and, um, and, and apparently he knew it. Uh, but, you know, God holds him responsible for it. But listen to this, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, uh, after God had given him this prescription... Uh, that he couldn't go into the land, Uh, he says, I pleaded with the Lord at the time saying, Oh Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or earth who can do the works that you do, as mighty as you are, and so on. Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, uh, that good hill country, and Lebanon. Uh, But the Lord was angry with me, and Moses says, because of you. Moses doesn't own this. This is one place where you say, you know what? Moses mentors me not to blame other people like he did. Moses is like, it's because of you that I lost my cool, and it's because of you that I struck the rock, and it's your fault, and you screwed me over, and so now I don't get a chance to go and walk in the promised land and so forth. He says the same thing in the next chapter, in, in verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 21. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, for I must die in this land. I must not go over to the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land, and and, and so on. But Moses is like blaming somebody else. You ever do that? Oh, I'm sure you haven't done that, right? You just own whatever you do and say, oh, it's on me. But when God brings this up against Moses, Moses tries to push it off on somebody else, and so forth. He blames the other people. Well, We're out of time, but, hey, who's your mentor? Who's your mentor? Who you follow? Who do you say, you know what, I want to be like that? Uh, I would suggest that Moses makes a great mentor for us in so many ways. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do uh, just thank you that you've put the Bible together in such a way that uh, we're able not just to learn from Moses and read Moses, but we're able to uh, see the interaction that Moses has with you the relationship. And uh, Moses was certainly a servant leader who's impacted each one of our lives, whether we know it or not, in so many different ways. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, as we unfold this study and work our way through uh, these Old Testament passages, that you'll reveal to us uh, just exactly how you are and how we're to interact with you, and that all of us would Uh, Take a step deeper into our relationship with you, that we trust you more, that we transfer trust off of ourselves more onto you in order that you might have your way with us. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers now if they'd come and wait on us as we continue to worship the Lord uh, through the giving of our tithes and our offerings this morning.